Have you ever noticed that the lower jaw is not protected in sports? Did you know that 10,800 concussions will happen today? This has been an upward trend for the past 50 years. I'm Dr. Michael Hutchison, a practicing neuromuscular dentist. When my son wanted to participate in football and rugby, I was afraid he was going to get a concussion. That fear led me to finding the missing link to reducing concussions. The fact is, the only part of the skull that is not protected in sports is the lower jaw. If you want to drastically reduce concussions, there are three basic jaw positions that affect concussions and two of them are not good. The correct one is called physiologic jaw position. It will dissipate the force away from the brain. Knowing that, I designed an appliance that put my son's jaw in the right place and as a result, he was concussion-free from fifth grade all the way to senior year. This jaw position takes those 10,800 concussions today down to 28. It's the key to concussion protection. As a parent, this is what you need to know. It's extremely important that the device you are using is on the lower jaw. Thickness of the device is important. Most importantly, it must position and hold you in your own unique personal physiologic jaw position. So if your child goes out on the field with the correct jaw position, your son or daughter will not one of those 10,800 concussions today. Get yours today at powerplusmouthguard.com. Use the promo code POWERUP2023 for 10% off. Thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales podcast. This story was written and produced by your host, Ross Bliley, edited by Nikki Bliley. You can follow me on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find the podcast on multiple music streaming providers, including Spotify, Amazon Music, and Audible. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, subscribe to the show on the Sports History Network. As a conversation starter, you can email me questions or leave feedback of the show at pigskintailspodcast at gmail.com. The soundtrack is provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io. Before we get into the story, I have to mention newspapers.com. I use it for my research and I love it because it gives me so much interesting information I would have never found otherwise. If you visit SportsHistoryNetwork.com, we offer a free one-week subscription as a trial. With a paid subscription, you'll be supporting the production of this podcast as well as the other shows. Once again, thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales Podcast. Last time on the Pigskin Tales podcast, the Chicago Bears and the Portsmouth Ohio Spartans played in the first ever NFL playoff game and the first indoor game in pro football history. It was supposed to be cold in Chicago that day, so Chicago Bears owner George Hallis informed the two teams that the game was going to be played at Chicago Stadium instead of Wrigley Field, where the Bears play their home games. Even though the snow was waist-deep, 11,000 fans showed up to see what the hype was all about. What stunk about the game was that, the night before, there was a circus in town. Elephant manure did not make the game real enjoyable. But in the end, the Bears did win 9 to nothing. This time on the Pigskin Tales podcast, I'll bring your mind into the game. 
Plus, our hero goes on to retire from professional football and begin a career in professional wrestling. This is Pigskin Tales. On December 12, 2021, NBC Sports posted a 3 minute and 49 second video on YouTube detailing the story of the NFL's first playoff game between the Chicago Bears and the Portsmouth, Ohio Spartans. Doc Emmerich narrated the story for NBC and here he is retelling of the story. Mid-December 1932, the NFL championship game between George Hallis' Chicago Bears and the Portsmouth, Ohio Spartans. The Bears were the home team for the title game. But early in the week, the winds were blowing cold off Lake Michigan. There was already snow on the ground and the forecast wasn't good. So even though the Bears' home turf was Wrigley Field, with the NHL Blackhawks out of town and the circus just having left, Hallis decided that the championship would take place indoors at three-year-old Chicago Stadium. Already his Bears had an advantage in that Spartan star Dutch Clark would be absent back at Colorado College coaching basketball. Hallis's lineup included at least two future Hall of Famers, the Galloping Ghost Red Grange and the legendary Bronco Nagurski. Chicago Stadium already had dirt down on its floor from the circus, aromatic dirt that it was. It was recirculated dirt the stadium kept for all such events, and according to one report, the dirt included parts of elephant tusks, cigar butts, and what had been left behind by the animals. But there were some other challenges for the two teams. The field could only be 80 yards long, including end zones, because of the arena floor. So 60 yards, goal line to goal line, and only 45 yards wide narrower than normal. Goal posts had to be moved to the goal line. The teams agreed there would be no field goal attempts, but extra points could be kicked. So, on December 18, 1932, 11,200 fans came through the turnstiles. There were some odd situations. One kick hit a Blackhawks advertising sign, another struck the organist, Meanwhile, Portsmouth, without the Spartan star Clark, had to play a strong defensive game, and it worked. It was scoreless into the fourth quarter. Finally, the Bears broke through. As required by the rules at the time, Nagurski dropped back the necessary five yards behind the line of scrimmage and threw a soft pass to Grange for a touchdown. The Spartans protested it wasn't five yards, but the officials ruled it was a legal pass. Tiny Engebretson kicked the extra point through the uprights into the second balcony and the Bears added a safety to win 9 to nothing. In the aftermath of the game, the NFL decided to keep the goalposts on the goal line and they stayed there for another 41 years. The forward pass only had to be behind the scrimmage line, no longer five yards back. And the Spartans returned to Ohio to play in Portsmouth for one more year before moving to Detroit to become the Lions. And as it turned out, the weather forecast was wrong. On game day, the temperature was 20 degrees. 
20 degrees above. They probably could have played it outdoors after all. While Chicago Stadium closed after 65 years, was demolished in 1995, and the site is now a parking lot for the much larger United Center, the Bears are over a century old and winners of nine NFL titles, including the first one ever under a roof 89 years ago. I'm going to take a quick break. I just got to play this one promo from Thrive Fantasy, and then we'll get right back to the story. Thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales podcast. Come prop up on Thrive Fantasy this football season. Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports and esports app for player props. With Thrive, you can eliminate the countless hours of research and focus on only the top-tier athletes that have the biggest impact on the game. Choose 10 out of the 20 available player props to build your lineup. Each prop is assigned a fantasy value for both the over and the under based on how likely it is to hit. Hit the most props and rack up the most points to win a share of the prize pool. Thrive has over $140,000 guaranteed in prizes for the NFL in Week 1. Thrive's featured contest is $20 to enter and first place takes home a cool $20K. When you sign up today, Use the promo code SHN and you'll get a 100% instant first deposit match, up to $100. If you go through the Sports History Network website, sportshistorynetwork.com thrive, you don't even need to enter the promo code. You automatically get the deposit bonus. Download the Thrive Fantasy app on the App Store or Play Store now. You can play online at thrivefantasy.com. Sign up and prop up today. Soundtrack provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io. And we're back. Thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales podcast. We went into Chicago to play the game off, and they'd had a tremendous snowstorm there. Rigby Field was unplayable. The field was not <laughs> your ideal field. Remember the odor because there had been a circus in the Chicago Stadium the previous week. One of our players got sick of these summer. <laughs> Threw up. <laughs> oh, it was bad. We had had a couple of nips the night before, and that smell was too good either. I could already get my head in that huddle. <laughs> so... We played the game indoors under restricted conditions. The field was 60 yards long, eliminated field goals, and moved the ball in from the, uh, from the sideline, which was a board fence it had there for the ice hockey games. Brock threw the, uh, the touchdown pass to me. I was laying on my back in the end zone, and Brock threw me an end-over-end pass. That was his best pass. They complained, of course, and claimed it was illegal, but... Nagurski claims he backed up far enough that uh, he was five yards back. He wasn't anywhere near five yards back of the line of scrimmage, which was a rule in those days. You had to be back five yards. They won the game nine to nothing. It was an interesting game. What's crazy about this game was the fact that it could have actually been played outside. But because the local weathermen said it was supposed to be bad weather, 
George Hallis decided that it was better to play indoors. Then they had to play on a shorter field where it stunk like animals from the night before. Just think about that. That's nasty. At the end of the season awards, Bronco Nagurski made the all-pro team and led the league in rushing touchdowns. In 1933, things dramatically changed after that first playoff game in 1932. Here's a short clip of uh, a YouTube video that talks about the 1933 NFL championship between the Chicago Bears and New York Giants. The indoor game did more than crown a champion. It helped the NFL notice its severe problems. The NFL had to open up. They had to get more scoring, more excitement. They still were not drawing anywhere near what the college football teams were. At the league meetings in 1933, the owners made decisions that changed pro football forever. The major rules changes were opening up the passing game. They did away with the rule that you had to be five yards behind the line of scrimmage. They brought in the hash marks. They moved the goalposts up to uh, help field goal kicking. And one of the really most important things is they divided the league into two divisions uh, with, a, with a fully official uh, championship game scheduled for the end of the season. And it worked. The two best teams, the New York Giants and Chicago Bears, met in the NFL's first championship game. Pro football now had its World Series. Wrigley Field hosted the game, which was getting national exposure. I do remember listening to it on the radio. Bears ball on their own 12-yard line. Nagurski carried it. Because the lead changed so many times. The Giants would score, the Bears would score. Just kept going back and forth. Early in the game, Giants quarterback Harry Newman suggested a trick play he learned from his nieces, a play that became known as the Hine Special. Mill Hine was the center. All the men went on one side of Mel Hine. That left Mel Hine open for a, for a pass. Because the ends were, ends were passed, so he became an end. Newman took the snap from center, handed it right back to Hine, then turned around and fell down as though covering a fumble. Musso piled on me, and he looked at me and he says, where's the ball? <laughs> he said, I, I told him, I'd show him some more card tricks. Mel Hines stuck the ball under his shirt and started walking down the field. He thought he'd be walking yet, except he got excited and started to run. Keith Molesworth, who was a defensive halfback for the Bears, said, I thought something was strange. He said it looked like Mel Hine was pregnant. He said, I wouldn't have done anything if he hadn't started to run. When he started to run, I just automatically tackled him. The game was becoming a wide-open affair that pro football had not seen with over 600 yards of offense. The game had six lead changes, a world championship game record that still stands. And it's complete to for touchdown. The Bears won the landmark game 23-21. I still say it was the greatest football game that I ever saw or ever participated in. The two teams not only made history that day, they also made some extra money. We received $210 and 34 cents and that 34 cents was very important in those days who believe me and the giants received i believe it was 170 dollars 13 hall of famers participated in that first championship game faces that helped shape the national football league 
that game went all over the country, and that really was the beginning of, uh, of the popularity of pro football. Since NFL players didn't have the big contracts they have now, players had to get second jobs for extra income. At that time, Bronk, that's what Grange called him, decided to try pro wrestling. By the time he retired from football in 1937, he decided to wrestle full-time. He started in 1933 and Tony Stetcher was his manager. I think that's pretty interesting considering that nowadays NFL players don't have to get second jobs to supplement their income. They just need to be a spokesman for a charity or a big-time company. Thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales podcast. This story was written and produced by your host, Ross Bliley. Edited by Nikki Bliley. You can follow me on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find the podcast on multiple streaming providers such as Spotify, Amazon Music, and Audible. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, subscribe to the show on the Sports History Network. As a conversation starter, you can email me questions or leave feedback of the show at pigskintailspodcast at gmail.com. The soundtrack is provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io. Once again, thanks for listening to the Big Skin Tales podcast. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.